I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a few minutes, do you know you could go to an ATM and it'll be out of service from your financial institution? You go to the next location, it could be out of service. Go to another, it could be out of service. What's going on? I'm going to tell you about a new crime that is forcing banks to just shut their machines down for hours or even a day or more at a time. And coming up yet later, are you lying about money to your spouse or significant other? How good an idea is that? We're going to talk. So... I want to talk right now about a threefer that has me pretty concerned. Americans have pivoted from saving money, which we'd actually gotten much better at at the beginning of this decade, to spending full tilt and borrowing at record levels. On top of that, Americans are facing with debt higher interest rates as the interest rates that pass through the system from the increases in rates engineered by the Federal Reserve, so much of the debt that you might carry is floating rate debt, like think credit cards, where the interest rates reset almost instantly when the Federal Reserve changes the interest rates it controls or home equity lines of credit that adjust automatically with the rates that are charged by the Federal Reserve. So think about this. Americans today are saving two cents of each dollar they make on average. And then at the same time, overall debts have gone way, 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 way up. And so Americans, although maybe most aren't wheezing on debt, are carrying much higher amounts. And a lot of it is felt manageable because so much of the debt has been at lower interest rates. But again, that's the shift that's coming. So... I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your finances. Because if you look at the averages, saving two cents of each dollar you make, that's building no money for the long term, no money for the rainy day, no cushion in your life at all. And then on top of it, if you've stepped up borrowing on credit cards and for other things, that's creating monthly obligations that eliminate any wiggle room in your life, any unexpected thing, any uh uh-oh kind of expense that comes along, like the car needing a repair or the refrigerator breaks or your kid needs braces or whatever it is. Why create anxiety in your life? So I encourage you to start at the easiest thing in my book, 
which is to start saving some money and save a little bit more over time. I like for you, if you're saving nothing at all, to start saving a penny of each dollar you make and every six months step it up another penny. Suggestion I had recently because people lose track of time is that you use the change in time is when you step up the amount you save. It won't be exactly six months apart. It'll be like uh, seven and a half and four and a half or something. But that you, at the time we go to daylight time, when we go from daylight time to standard time, that each of those times you increase what you're saving 1%. On the credit cards, if you know yourself that you're using credit cards to buy things you know you're not going to pay for when that bill comes in, that's where the big change has to come. And it's your choice. It's your life. I just want you to live a less stressful life and one that you have more control over. Judy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Judy. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure, Judy. How can I be of service to you today? Well, a store cashier talked the husband into opening a credit card as he was checking out in order to save $20. Why did you ever let your husband out of the house to do any shopping? Well, that's why he only gets one check at a time. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm the bookkeeper. He's the COO. Okay. Okay. The COO needs to be doing what you're telling him to do then, because he shouldn't yeah. <laughs> be opening those store cards. Well, my question is, about three or four days, we don't need the card or want the card. About three or four days after he opened the card, I got emails from Credit Karma, uh, Expedia, you know, the whole works for the credits, and our credit rating had dropped from 811 to 796, 15 points. That's my okay. That's is, okay. That's okay. Yeah. So a 15-point drop is not going to, with you being in the stratosphere, I mean, when you've got a credit score of 811 before he said yes to saving the $20, and it dropped you to 796, that should have no material effect on your life at all. And even though uh, store credit is considered to be junk credit, it did not have a major impact. And it won't going forward. But what we'd like to do, it's a store slash visa account, I guess, is we would like to ask you whether or not we should cancel the card. or Definitely not. Cut it up and just let it go. Exactly, because you've already created the inquiry. And here's the funny thing. So you had this hit on your score of 15 points. That's typical to be somewhere 12, 15, 18 points. For a new application of credit like that but the odd thing is that that card moving forward will actually potentially raise your score because you've now created additional credit availability and that will not using that card or using it sparingly will reduce your credit utilization percent which could actually eventually boomerang to push your score higher so just leave it as it is. Just leave it as it is, especially because you told me it's a store Visa card instead of a store-only card. Then right. that's not junk credit, and that will reflect well on the report. Okay. 
So thank you very much. I wished he hadn't done it, but it's not going to hurt you at all. And ironically enough, over time, it might be help. Might be a help. Might get you from eight. Would you say eight eleven? Might get you all the way up to eight twenty five or something. Oh, good deal. So don't tell him it was a good idea. No, because then he'll go somewhere else and say, "Oh, well, they offered me fifteen percent off today." No, he won't be doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Okay. I love that. Maria's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Maria. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Maria, we were just talking about somebody getting a credit card. You want to talk about having to accept credit cards. Yeah, I'm actually wanting to know, like, the best deals out there for zero interest, you know, um, or low fees, low fee merchant accounts is what. So um, you own your own business and you take the cards and you, you get destroyed on how much they charge you every month. Correct. Yeah, that is that is the story of uh, what happens when you accept credit cards. So I need to have a sense of what kind of volume you're running through your business and what your average ticket is. Average ticket is, I'd say, three, three to five thousand. Three to five thousand. Three to five thousand dollars per transaction. Yeah, we do um, cabinetry and flooring. So, wow. High ticket items. And if you didn't take credit cards, you wouldn't get a yes from a lot of people on the sale, right? Correct. Have you ever experimented with offering people a cash discount? No. Mm -mm. So right now you're paying probably effectively around 2% of each purchase for accepting cards. Would that be about right? Yeah, yeah. So if you were to offer people, uh, I mean, you you could offer them the whole amount you're paying as a discount, where since it wouldn't cost you any more, they get a lower price. Or you could just say, hey, you know, if you pay uh, by check, we give a 1% discount, and then you're splitting the savings with them. Okay, I see that. Just a thought when it's a, a pretty large ticket, because when you have a large ticket, the lowest you're going to find processing is going to be about, uh, if card is present, about 1.25%. Okay. So you can probably get it down some, and that would matter on your average size ticket to get it down some, mm-hmm. but it's still a, a, a massive expense going forward. Yeah. Uh, the cheapest clearing rates you're going to find usually are going to be going through the merchant processing programs that Sam's and Costco offer. Are you a member of either of the warehouse clubs? No, I'm not. So a lot of times people will join one of the warehouse clubs just to get, as a business, just to get the merchant clear rates on taking credit cards. Okay. And how often is the card present when somebody gives a card for the purchase? Every time I've, I've had, yeah, I haven't had any. So the card, the person presents you the card, you can run the card right there. Yes. 
All right. So then, yeah, you should be able to get a clear rate about 1.25. Okay, and I've... buy the buy the equipment that you're going to need. Do not lease it. All the companies try to get you to lease because it creates an enormous profit center for them on the processing equipment, and instead just buy the stuff. Okay. And go look at. You don't have to be a member to look at the pricing on Sam's Club or Costco under their business services and see what they charge and odds are it's going to save you a ton of money versus what you're paying right now for clearing. Okay. And then you have an excuse to go spend money in a warehouse club you don't have right now. (laughs) But I also love going full circle. Maria, I love the idea of giving people the cash discount whatever your hard cost is on accepting cards some portion or all of that people love a deal and you give them a deal you say but you can get a lower price if then it's their choice if they still want to pay with card or not today's clark rageous moment is a special warning for you i gave you a sneak a peek on it last summer and now what people in corporate security and internet security we're worried about has now come true. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. Last summer I told you about a fast-growing crime called jackpotting. It's where criminals are able to hack into either the network of ATMs or specific ATMs of banks. And they're able, and the reason it's called chackpotting, is they are able in just minutes to empty all the money out of the machine. And money starts pouring out. The criminals will bag the money as quick as they can from the ATMs till they've emptied it, and then they take off. Secret Service has put out a special warning to all the banks across the country, if they read their, their information that comes to them from the Secret Service, they'll know. And so what happens is that once a bank figures out it's vulnerable and it's being hit, the losses can be enormous. So they have to shut down all their ATMs, all of them in many cases, Till they have figured out how to fix the vulnerability that they're facing. If you're someone who tends to get cash at the last second from your own financial institution's ATMs, you may get to an ATM and it may just be out of money because it's been jackpotted, or it may have been taken offline out of service, and you would go down the street to the next one and the next one, and you could find none of them from your bank are available to get money from. It's going to require more thinking on your part how you're going to get cash if you tend to use ATMs. There are some people who never go to an ATM anymore. It's not part of their lives. But if it is part of yours, you got to think through getting that money and not waiting 
till you're down to your last dollar bill before you decide to get money because the reliability of the ATM network is going to be challenged by this fast-growing crime that, again, is spreading much faster than the banks are going to acknowledge or, in many cases, even be aware of. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where you're empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Over the years, when I've done, for lack of a better term, financial interventions in my TV work, one thing that has come out again and again is the financial equivalent of something like the Jerry Springer show. I don't think I've ever mentioned Jerry Springer on my show ever. But you'll be talking with a couple, I will be talking with a couple about their money and why there's never enough money and what's going on and all that. And at some point, when there's real tension with a couple about money, it will come out that there's a secret stash, a secret credit card, a secret account, secret spending, whatever. And it can really undermine trust in a relationship. There was a um, survey done by creditcards.com that found that a huge percent of people have hidden accounts. And over and over again, in a CNBC report, people talk about how many problems that caused or causes in a relationship when there is a hidden account by your spouse or a significant other. Millions of people do this. I mean, another survey found that four in ten, in four in ten couples, there's hidden accounts, hidden money, hidden spending, hidden debt. Not a good idea. Sometimes it will be because of a power imbalance in a relationship or a marriage where one or the other of a couple's personality is really dominant and the other person feels powerless and an indirect way of striking out is to have hidden money, hidden debt, whatever that creates some sense of control or independence. That's why so often when you talk to financial counselors like Uh, People who work for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, doing budget counseling for people who are having a lot of trouble with their finances and debt and all that, they'll tell you how much they feel like they're marriage counselors and therapists, even though that's not their expertise, that's not what they're trained for, because other issues always come forward. But I will tell you that... It's not a good idea to hide this kind of thing. And I'm an advocate, particularly if people get married later in life, like not right out of school, get married after both have been living independent lives, working, that you consider 
having a his account, a hers account, and a theirs account. Their account, theirs, whatever. I think you get the idea. You have a household account that you both agree how much each of you are going to put into each month. And then because you've been living independently, at least early in a marriage or relationship, that you have separate accounts that each of you control. And be very careful if you meet later in life immediately going to joint credit cards or joint debt because you don't know yet exactly how each of you are going to handle money, what kind of attitudes each of you have about money. But the one thing that is potentially fatal to a relationship is lying to the other about money. Please be very careful about that. Leah's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Leah. Hello. So, Leah, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. You've uh, got you've got a family circumstance you want to bring to me, don't you? I do. Um, I remarried last year, and I found out that uh, during discussions before we got married, actually, that. Uh, my husband, who has a small business, very small actually, he does local paint jobs, uh, interior and exterior, and he has not been filing tax returns for a few years. So, you know, I, I have my own job, I own my own home, uh, my credit score is in the 800 range, um, so I need to see how do I file taxes to protect myself from any possible liability for his or what do I need to do or be aware of in this situation so there are several things you need to do and I want to go back to the very first thing you said is he considering going forward maybe coming clean with the IRS or is this how he wants to continue to live yes okay yes to the first part (laughs) all right so he does want to come clean. Yes. Do you have a sense how many years this has gone on? No, I don't know. And how much money might be involved that he owes that he's not paid? I can't imagine it would be very much. Okay. Um, you know, maybe a few thousand, two or three or four. I, I honestly... If it's a very say. small amount, even with the penalties for failure to file... It won't be an enormous burden. Mm-hmm. So coming forward, the sooner you come forward, the better. Right. And I would start with him filing a return for last year. Okay. But, but the two of you, until this is all cleared up, you need to do married filing separately. Okay. No joint checking account. No joint okay. accounts of any kind. And that's the way it is. And so that needs to stay that way, and that will provide an important layer of protection to you. Okay. And married filing separately may potentially cost uh, each of you more tax. just depends on your particular circumstances and your earnings. But until his tax situation is free and clear, you can't commingle anything. Okay. And we do not. Okay. Um, but the home ownership and everything is in my name only. 
Okay, so you should be uh, in good shape, and I'm so glad that he fessed up to you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you really love him, don't you? I do. I do. Oh, I, I can. I can hear the love in your voice, and that's great. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, how likely, if you say, well, Clark says you should go file your return for last year and report what you've done for last year and then go work on the prior years. How likely do you think it is that he'll do it or you think he'll just keep ignoring it? I'm going to say 75% likely. Okay, use that moral suasion power you have (laughs) to push that higher. Okay. Because okay. this is not, compared to the questions I get from from people about somebody who hadn't filed, you're describing a, a relatively benign thing to deal with versus well, a monstrously large. Okay. Because well, usually I'm hearing from someone where there was a lot of unreported income, a lot of potential tax liability, and if it is as you think, there's not going to be a lot. Right. Or a lot to deal with. And coming forward, the IRS always treats you better coming forward than if you don't. Right. And the reason I was asking kind of a size of debt and what you don't know is how many years it goes back is that uh, if it's a large amount, you definitely need a tax professional representing either a tax attorney or a, a CPA who does tax. Okay. With a smaller amount of money, I think it would be advisable to go see an enrolled agent, which is someone with a special designation to practice before the IRS. Okay. And go with him and get him to lay the situation out. And then okay. you just take it down to size. Okay. So. Okay. Well, you've answered my questions. I really appreciate it. I, I, I had a suspicion that that's the way you would go but i wanted to hear it from a professional (laughs) well see the other answer is to move somewhere that doesn't have extradition laws (laughs) like in south america but i'm not recommending that elaine is with us on the clark howard show hello elena hi clark how are you great thank you elena you are interested in developing a solid financial portfolio for yourself in every possible way (laughs) tell me where you are with that well, I am 25 years old. Um, I'm in my final semester completing two undergraduate degrees, and my boyfriend and I are trying to look ahead to the future and think about buying or renting a house in a, in a different state once I'm done with my schooling. Um, but I've just recently applied and received my first credit card, um, and I was able to receive one from my bank. It's one of the college visa cards. Um, and I had tried with a different company first, but they rejected me because my report came back as bad credit. And that's not entirely true. I don't have bad credit. I just don't have any credit. Um, So I'm a little worried that once my boyfriend and I make our move, I will not have adequate credit score to be able to own or rent a house. Okay. How much credit limit did you get on that college student card? Um, I actually, I get quite a bit. Um, I think it's about um, $1,300. Okay. So I'm going to tell you something crazy. Okay. Never have a balance on that card more than $100. Okay. And the reason is 
is that if you use it, and I want you to use the card for little dippy purchases, little tiny purchases, and when the bill comes in each month, pay it in full. Okay. You you will then show very active use and at the same time, extremely low utilization of that card, meaning the percent of the available credit you have. Right. So that's... Uh, that alone is roughly a third of what makes up your credit score. Okay. Is using a tiny amount of the available credit. Okay. And that will help you after, a f- uh, when do you graduate? Uh, this May. All right. I would like you to, before you graduate, apply for mm-hmm. one other college student card. Okay. I want you to have two student credit cards. Because once you graduate, it's harder to get cards. But if you apply under somebody's student credit card program, the requirements to granting credit are different. Okay. So with two, two is perfect. It's like a Noah's Ark kind of thing. Right. You get two cards, you have enough to start building the kind of credit history that you're going to want. Because two-thirds of what makes up a credit score are two Mm -hmm. factors. The one I already mentioned using Mm -hmm. very little of your available credit. And the other Mm -hmm. is paying every bill every month on time. Right. So having two cards has a much bigger impact on them being able to really have a good representation about how you manage and handle credit. Okay. And um, I was told that I I should make, you know... um, they should be expenses that should be on like bigger items, you know, with, you know, maybe with like a bigger cost, not just like groceries or gas. Would you? Not true at all. Not, not true, true at all. Okay. No, no need okay. for that at all. Okay. The only thing you've got to do is use a card, use it sparingly, mm-hmm. and pay it in full every month on time. And that's okay. what builds the solid credit. And I don't know okay. if you've ever heard me, Elena, mention Credit Sesame or Credit Karma. Right. Okay. I would I've s- heard of Credit Karma. All right. I'd set up accounts with both of them. Okay. And you'll be able to monitor uh, as much as you want for free how your credit's doing and see the movement up or down based on how you use credit over time. Okay. And it will be a key building block to you getting the kind of credit you're going to need to qualify for that mortgage down the road. And congratulations on getting your not one, but two degrees. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Norm's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Norm. How you doing? Hi, Clark. Good afternoon. I'm doing fine. Thank you, and thank you for all you do. Well, you were kind to say that, Norm. And you have a question for me that has been on people's minds forever. And it's kind of a two-part question. It's about gasoline. And the first question is, is there a real difference in the quality of the gasoline between the big brand name companies and, let's say, the discounted brands? In my opinion, no. That I think that um, gasoline, you know, a lot of times it goes to tanker farms and different companies will um, go, to the, go to a tanker farm to get gas. They may add some additives to it as they deliver, but you know, states very tightly control the quality of the gasoline that is sold in their state. And they're not going to be able to sell gasoline that is junk. Having said that, the industry has a rating that is called top tier. Have you ever seen that at a gas station on the pumps? Yes. So when you see top tier, it means that the operator of that station has agreed to have their gasoline go through additional testing to make sure that it meets a bunch of uh, uh standards for purity and quality and that is something that some people will draw on but it has nothing to do with whether a station is an oil company station an independent uh discount outlet convenience store doesn't matter good well the second question is when you're standing in front of the pump you have three choices you've got the basic and then the mid-range and the premium grade of gas is there a real difference? Because now there's quite a difference in the price between those three. Almost all vehicles and any vehicle sold since, I guess it's 1996, unless it's a specially designed performance vehicle, will run on regular gas. Okay. Even if the owner's manual recommends premium, you don't need premium. The recommendation for premium is usually so they can advertise higher horsepower on the vehicle but even porsche says you can run any of their cars on regular even if they would prefer that you run them on premium you're listening to the clark howard show if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show i'd love it if you'd subscribe whatever your favorite podcast app is We're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 